Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, January the 23rd, 2023, 1-23-23, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and I hope that everybody is doing well and that you had a great weekend, and I tell you what, these uh, possible snow things, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Things did not work out like we thought they would yesterday. Um, God is sovereign. I don't know what to tell you. We ended up not having church yesterday due to the threat of winter weather. And I will admit yesterday when I left my house, it was around 630 in the morning as I was scrambling to come up with a sermon for yesterday. I did not want to preach in my regular series, given the fact that there's a lot of people that can't access online stuff at the church. And so anyway, I started Saturday night, scrambled, my, uh, excuse me, yesterday morning, and when I left, it was sleeting here at the house, and I said, oh, well, now uh, we made the right call, but then everything just kind of died out, and the 90% uh, likelihood for ice and snow at 10 a.m. became a 0% likelihood of ice and snow, but whatever again god is sovereign and uh we can't go back so we make our way forward nevertheless i'm happy to be with you this morning and i'm happy that it doesn't look like snow is in the forecast anytime soon and i'm grateful for this technology that we have uh this time together now let's pray that it works and that things keep on rolling where we're picking up today is in john chapter 19 y'all we're getting closer and closer to the end of our study on John. And if you know anything about the progression of Christ's life, that means that we are in the midst of his passion. Um, what we focused on the last time we were together was really not so much the crucifixion itself, though I did, did talk about the mechanics, the horrible, horrible mechanics of crucifixion, how basically you suffocated when you hung on the cross. Instead, we talked about the leading up to not only how Jesus was beaten savagely, but how he was mocked. Remember, we read about in John 19, 2 and 3, about the purple robe that they put on him. Purple, of course, signified royalty, about the crown they put on him. And we know what a crown signifies. However, it was a crown made out of very long, painful, sharp thorns, right? Um, and of course, they mocked him. The soldiers mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews as they struck him in the face again and again. We know from Isaiah, we know from other prophecies, from other accounts that Jesus was unrecognizable. They savaged him so brutally. And that's what our Lord endured for us. But after doing this, you find this interesting thing there where, uh, well, we're not going to pick up here today, but just reading what we got through the last time. Um, it says in verse four, once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Now, admittedly, we don't know the tone. We don't know the flourish that Pilate would have used with a statement such as that. Okay. Um, I wish that we did. But I think that the reason Pilate does this and the reason he leads off with saying, look, I don't find any basis of a charge against this man. I think he brought Jesus out in that horrible condition that, quite frankly, that mocked position right, where he had the robe 
on and he had the thorns in it. We cannot imagine the pain that Jesus would have been going through with this. But I think that Pilate did this to try to say to the Pharisees, to the, to the Sadducees, to the Jewish people, to say, look, this is the man that you're so worried about. Look at what I've reduced him to. I don't find any basis for a charge against this man. It's almost as if he's saying, isn't this enough? Look at him. Is, is, is this not enough? What more do you want me to do to him? What? And yet, verse 6, as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. That's what we made it through last week, and that's where we will pick up today. Let's pray. Our Father, please be with us now as we go into this time. We need your help. We need your understanding. We need the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We need for this account, this, uh, this story that we may have heard so many times, make it real to us again, and not in some emotional sense, because emotions come and go, but in a convicting sense, help us to see, to understand, um, and, and yes, to be moved, but Father, as a matter of conscience, as we see our Lord suffering, let us see our sin that made it necessary, that in fact, it was our sin alone that made our Lord suffering necessary. Let's not disconnect. Let us not view this as some theory. Instead, let it be real to us. So please, guide us now by your spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So what we made it through was verse 6, the last time Pilate brings him out again, says he finds no basis for a charge against him. The Jews shout out, crucify, crucify. Second part of verse 6, but Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Then the Jews insisted, verse 7, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, we find something interesting here. Number one, that Pilate says, you go crucify him. Pilate knew good and well that they couldn't crucify anybody, okay? So why does he say it? Is this taunting them? We don't know. But what's really interesting here is what we find next. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. And he's going to question Jesus some more. But the question is, and this is kind of what we left off with on Thursday together. Why is Pilate afraid? Is he afraid of the Jews starting some kind of uprising? Maybe. That could very well be part of this. Is he afraid that there's going to be a riot right then and there? That That is certainly possible. You know, it's interesting. In John's telling, John... Um, for whatever reason, he talks very specifically about the ones who are there. He talks about um, the, the, the ruling officials and so forth, right? Um, what we find out from the other gospel writers is this is not a small group that has gathered outside of Pilate's palace there. Okay? Sounds like a restaurant. But anyway, it's not a small group of people that have gathered there. We know that there is a large crowd. And how ironic it is that Jesus was greeted with a crowd not too long before this. But instead of saying, crucify, crucify, they were saying, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. Right? 
but how quickly the crowd has turned on Jesus at this point. Uh, so there's a large group of people there. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe maybe that's why Pilate is really frightened about what's going to happen. It says he's even more afraid, right? But we know from the other gospel writers some other interesting things. Take, for instance, uh, from Matthew chapter 27, we find out this. And, and for whatever reason, John doesn't include this. But we find out in the same exact timing, same situation, that Pilate is seated on the judge's seat as he's pronouncing these things regarding Jesus. In Matthew 27, 19, we read, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, that's pretty much all we get here. People have taken that and they have run with it. They've talked about Pilate's wife being converted and all sorts of stuff. She recognizes that he is an innocent man, but y'all, that doesn't mean that she necessarily had faith in Jesus. All kinds of, of hay is made out of this verse. But the point is, a lot of things are going on here with Pilate. He is unsettled over this. But realize that it's not because Pilate is a good guy. Okay, some people then conclude, oh, well, he must be in this, this great moral quandary here. Y'all, if he was really a, over a moral, facing a moral quandary over Jesus, he wouldn't have had Jesus savagely beaten and tortured, okay? So don't have any misgivings. It's not, you know, Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. The reason Pilate said that could have very well been that Pilate didn't believe in God at all. Remember John 18, 38, after Jesus talks about the truth and all that sort of stuff, Pilate asked, what is truth? I mean, we don't know really who we're dealing with other than the fact that he is a high-ranking Roman official, and Rome was no paradigm of virtue, okay? So without knowing, the answer is which, you know, what is it? Is it this? Is it that? The other? It's probably the answer is yes, it's a whole combination of things. It might just be that Pilate is scared to death that this is going to lead to a major disruption in Israel. And as a result, he's not going to complete the assignment he was given, which is basically no news out of Israel is good news. Keep the people from enacting an uprising. Just keep it quiet. That might be what's going on here. But no matter what it is, after this happens, after we find out that Pilate is even more afraid, then we see a second real set of questioning that goes on here. Look at verse 9. It says, and he, talking about Pilate, went inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Interesting here, y'all. You know, I, I, I talked about that example, and I don't want to say it because I know that people are, are, are watching this or people have watched this in China, and I don't want to, to cause any major problems, but let's, how do I say this well? Years and years ago in a foreign country, um, there was a demonstration enacted by the people and many students. 
during a military parade. Tanks were lined up, tens, hundreds of tanks to show military power. And yet, in this portion of the city, a man was crossing the street and he stood in front of the tanks holding what looked like to be grocery bags. As I said the last time we were together, human reason and logic would dictate that this man was about to be, I think I used the term road spaghetti there, uh, that, 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 that he was about to be crushed, that he had no power whatsoever in that situation. And yet, here we are, January 23, 2023, talking about this man's bravery, talking about the power that this man had to have to stand up at that moment, at that time. And in fact, the tank did not run him over. I don't know if it was a command that came down. I don't know if the tank driver was afraid, if that's the same kind of fear that we see here from Pontius Pilate. I don't know. But y'all, the idea of power does not necessarily come down to show of strength. The idea of power does not necessarily represent what can happen by human reason and logic in that point in time. Power has much more to do with control. And control does not fit into the basic parameters of human reason. Very clearly, the pilot is a pilot's afraid. He brings Jesus back in. He starts asking Jesus these questions. Jesus doesn't even answer him at first. Jesus may not, by human reason and logic, have power in this. Pilate even says, don't you know I have the power to either free you or crucify you? And yet Jesus is in control. And when Jesus says this, this is unsettling. Now, we need to be careful here that we understand what Jesus is talking about. He says, look, you wouldn't have any power unless God gave it to you. So in other words, the power that you have is on loan. And that in itself is for another discussion, another time, that politicians, kings, rulers, they've all been ordained by God and they don't have the sword for nothing that we find out from Romans. But at the same time, they need to remember they'll give an account to God. And so Jesus makes this statement in the end of verse 11. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The one who handed him over, y'all, Jesus is not talking about God here because Pilate's power came from above. He's talking about Judas, right? He's talking about the one who betrayed him. He's also talking about the chief priests, you know, the, all of those that, that literally handed him over to be in this situation. Interestingly enough, we don't find anything in John's gospel about Judas's suicide. We can find that out in Matthew as well. But nevertheless, what's fascinating is what Pilate does next. Now, you think Jesus says this to a Roman governor that, again, has just said, I have the power to set you free or crucify you. You would think Jesus talking like this, questioning even the power that this guy is talking about, you would think that immediately he'd say, all right, go ahead, crucify him. That's not what you find. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You know, what does it mean in, that it says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free? What does this look like? We don't know. Does this mean that he brought in the Jewish officials and tried to work some deal with them? Maybe. Does it mean that he kept bringing Jesus out there at the judgment seat and, and kept on saying, shall I set him free? Maybe. That's what he's done so far. 
But the fascinating thing is, is that the Jews are so wily, right? The Jews know exactly what to say. They know the orders that Pilate's been given. They know the political pressure that Pilate is facing. That's why they then say, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Y'all, that was the worst possible thing to be in the Roman Empire, was somebody who wasn't a friend to Caesar. Do you see? Nevertheless, verse 13, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. Paul's right there. You remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Realize this, I'm, I'm not endorsing the movie. Okay, I'm not endorsing it. Um, I don't freak out like like some do over it. I, I, I personally, I do not appreciate or like images of Jesus. Okay, I, I think that there's a major problem with that, biblically speaking, when we have images of Christ. But all of that being said, and if you think, well, that's weird. Well, not for Presbyterians. It's not. It's in our it's in our form of of government, excuse me, our, our confession of faith, you know, it's also in the Ten Commandments, but I understand that there's a lot of, of argument over that, and, and I'm not going there this morning, but it's fascinating, you know, if you ever watched um, The Passion of the Christ, you'll know that it was in a foreign language, and the language that it was in the grand majority of the time was actually in Aramaic, because that's the language that was spoken then, and all throughout the movie, you had to read subtitles down at the bottom, there's only one line in that entire movie that is not translated. You know what it is? Well, it's the next line that we come to. You see, after the movie was put together, Mel Gibson in the studio had to meet with Jewish leaders, right? There was concern that it would strike up anti-Semitism. The Jews didn't believe a lot of it anyway. They thought it was mythical, but they absolutely lost it in this portion of the movie, right? Because they... That they wanted to deny it. They did not want this in film. But you know, as bad as what the Jews did to Jesus made them look, this is the one thing they didn't want. Why? The one line. Why of all lines would they not want this next one that we read translated? Well, you tell me. Because after Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The very next line we read, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. You know, there are all sorts of things that start at the beginning of John's gospel that hint at things that are going to happen. Certainly in chapter one, he came unto his own, and yet his own would not receive him. But there are other places in the Bible that point forward to this moment. Take Judges 21, 25, for instance, the resounding refrain from the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what, was, what he saw as fit in his own eyes. Right? What you have here is the ultimate culmination of that. When Pilate presents Jesus, who in fact was their king, 
Not only did they not recognize Jesus as king, though he really was, their response was, we don't have any king but Caesar. Now, modern-day Jews can deny this all they want, but we know it's true. We know it's true. We, we have the historical account right here, and it only makes sense, especially coming from this group, because we know that the chief priest had laid down for the Roman Empire. They absolutely laid down for Rome. That's why they were in charge of the temple. They were given that right. You know, there are lots of moments that you could point to that say, aha, there we see that the Jews really did reject Jesus. I challenge you to find one more poignant than this. When Jews were ultimately given the opportunity to say, yes, he is our king and he is our Lord. They then turned to Caesar instead. And so at that moment, whether it was political pressure, whether it was Pilate realizing, okay, these people really do mean business, doesn't really matter, y'all. After hearing the Jews say, we have no king but Caesar, that's when Pilate finally hands him over to be crucified. What do we take from this? I think the biggest point of application for us is that yet again, as we have witnessed our Lord's mockery, have we, as we've witnessed how badly he was treated, the agony that he endured. My friends, the outright rejection of our Lord comes full circle here. And I think what we take from this is his willingness to continue out of love for you and me. This is something we cannot imagine. It's something that, that we cannot begin to fathom this level of rejection, this level of contempt, this level of hatred. And Jesus endured it all. And he didn't endure it for some idea that you've latched onto. He didn't endure it for just some massive group of people. If you're trusting in him alone, he did it for you quite personally. And so what we take from this is, just to be frank, we look at what our Lord endured for us. And so we then ought to ask, what shall I endure for him? When I face derision, when I face cruelty, we ought to be reminded of Jesus's words in John 15, that if they do this to me, you're my servants. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. If they did it to the master, they'll do it to you. And yet in the same way that Jesus continued with his resolve, let us continue with ours, our resolve to trust, to follow, and to obey. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us, and we thank you for our Lord who endured so much, and he did it for us. Give us grateful hearts, and yet give us hearts that are ready to testify to his greatness. Hearts that as we face difficulty as we face trials, hearts that steadily look to our Lord who faced the ultimate difficulty for us. Give us grateful hearts that we can serve him, and we pray it in his name. Amen. 
Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see we've got Christine. Good morning. And there's Becky. And then the other Becky and Alice and Rose and Elizabeth and Wayne. And I know that others are here with us and definitely others will be here with us as the day goes on. Thank you all so much for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Until then, have a great Monday.